0: So, uh, the first few, you know, 50 to 100,000 came from just people we knew, um, you know, 25K checks, 50K checks, stuff like that. Our first in- institutional funder was a company called Bolt. They're a hardware oriented VC firm in um, Boston. Now they're in San Francisco too, so they have two offices. And Um, we had pitched them really early on in the concept, like beginning, like when I had the idea and they're like, yeah, go, go, go get it, kid. You know, (laughs) they're like, just do it. Um, and then I came back to them a year later and like, Hey, we've actually built it. You know, it's real. It's, it wasn't ready for manufacturing yet, right yet, but it was in a good shape and a good, good, good spot. And they're like, wow, you actually did it.
1: Welcome to the third episode of the Wantra Podcast. This podcast is centered around interviewing early stage founders, CEOs, and VCs in order to paint the picture of the current startup ecosystem. Today, I have the honor of interviewing, I'm going to butcher your name, Vladimir Vladimir Vukasevich? Not bad. That was close? Not bad. Uh, He created one of the first crowdfunding platforms, Rocket Hub, um, and that company was later acquired by E Corp for $15 million. Uh, He is currently the CEO of Mural, a company focused on democratizing art by combining the best of art, tech, and design to create products that make us feel something. Hmm. Thank you so much for coming in today.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: I realized the setup was a little interesting, but uh, I'm glad you're here.
0: No, we're here. We're, we're we're comfortable, and then we can get
1: rolling. Awesome. Now, starting up, I, I want to learn a little bit about your background um, because I know that your background doesn't exactly indicate that you would go into the art industry and sure. do what you were doing now.
0: Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm a first generation immigrant. So I was born in Belgrade, in Serbia. I moved to New York when I was six years old. I grew up in the city, Long Island, um, went to high school. There and then I studied economics and philosophy at NYU. Hmm. So I was always interested in business, of course, but I um also, how business interacts with other other things, particularly culture and technology. So those three things, culture, business, technology, coming together, have always kind of done it for me. Um, that's inspired me to, to, to build things and to do what I do. And after school, I worked in management consulting for a few years, helping big companies like Citibank, Pfizer, figure out digital technology, innovation. Um, and then when I turned 25, I said... Um, I can't you know I can't I can't do this corporate thing anymore. I have to build something. I have to do something interesting. And so that's when we started Rocket Hub um, in 2009, 2010, really with uh, the idea of helping um, creators of all sorts raise money online
1: and where did that idea come from
0: yeah that's a good question so um, actually a lot of that came from my travels because as a consultant i got to go to um india uh, i got to go to japan singapore across the world and um people were doing really interesting things with money Uh, they were using mobile technology to to lend money to give money to people and this idea of that anyone could pool money together uh, and support endeavors uh, started to kind of percolate in my mind. And what what it just kept growing and growing. And then on the other side, I had a lot of friends here in New York who were musicians, filmmakers, writers, directors, visual artists who were kind of struggling to, to get their first projects off the ground. Uh, they had to put $5,000, 10000 on their credit cards and then were kind of stuck with this bill uh, no matter what. And so the, these two concepts of, of pooling money together plus this creative need really uh, kind of got the ball rolling when it comes to to the idea for Rocket Hub. Hmm. At that point, Kiva was was in existence, which was a, a, a micro lending platform. So okay. so that was kind of an inspiration as well. So there were there were like these ideas kind of starting to grow, and we, we felt like it was just the right time. And it's funny enough, at the same time, Kickstarter and Indiegogo were founded. So there was something in the air uh, in that like 2009 period, 2010 period, where crowdfunding had its big initial moment.
1: And when, when this moment was happening, how did you realize that you could uh, set yourself apart from the other um, Kickstarter-like platforms that we're building?
0: Yeah, so um, our my, my, my co-founder, Brian Meese at Rocket Hub, he he's um, a musician and he was also a filmmaker. So he was very much lived and embodied and was our target audience. Wow. Um, and so... When we got going, the reason we were able to grow pretty quickly is because we tapped into his network. Uh, We tapped into um, his... Um, uh, friends, family, uh, other musicians in New York area. And then our third co-founder, Jed Cohen, um, he he was a former actor. So he tapped into his theater background. So it was very, very much grassroots early on. Um, most of our time in the first year, year and a half at Rocket Hub wasn't spent on like honing the product. Uh, of course, we did that. But it was spent on hustling, being out side, you know, going to music shows, going to theater productions, going to uh, film shows and telling people about Rocket Hub, telling people about what we were offering them and getting them on board. So it was very, very direct marketing <laughs> uh, on the ground.
1: Hmm. And now, am I, am I right in saying that the initial iteration of Rocket Hub also had like a, uh, a virtual currency yeah,
0: that, component? Yeah, that's right. That's good memory. Yeah. Uh, so the first uh, iteration of Rocket Up had what we called Rocket, fuel. rocket um, fuel, so you could buy, you know, you could use your dollars to buy Rocket Fuel, and then you could disperse that across different projects. Hmm. And it wasn't, uh, you know, a cryptocurrency, but it was a virtual currency that we controlled, so it was, had a limited supply. Um, but people just didn't get it at that point. It was yeah. way too early for virtual currencies to be treated in that way so after about six months we had to kill it because it, people were it was just too complicated and uh, where,
1: where did that idea come from uh, Why did you cr- feel the need from
0: to- gaming? Uh, wow. Yeah, because uh, a lot of games did have that at hmm. that point, but it wasn't mass, you know, mass appeal. It wasn't mass mass adoption at that point. So uh, games, you know, uh, massive online games uh, had virtual currencies, and then also um, um, uh, Second Life, which was kind of a, a virtual game that, that that is online as well, had a, had an online current, had a virtual currency. So um, what we found was that the gamers were into it, but you know the friends and family and people who were supporting music projects or film projects just didn't get it um I think today it'd be different uh, i think if you if you if you talk to people about virtual currencies, like just look at i c o s and and cryptocurrency and all that like that's what's used for fundraising so uh, it's a completely different world, but uh we were thinking about it then we had to kill it um but today I think it would work.
1: That is so – and did did it utilize like blockchain, that ledger and all of that? Or no, was it no, no. Like it was pri- purely
0: okay. a private virtual currency that was running on our server. Gotcha. Um, so it was, the blockchain, I think, really the initial work for that came out in, in, in the late 2010s or mm-hmm. like the 8, 9. And so it was not widely known yet at that point. But it, it's funny. We had one piece right. We didn't have the other piece right. Hmm.
1: And now when you you had your co-founders and all of that, how how did you go about bringing on employees and more partners that believed in the vision um, of the company and Mm. the culture you were trying to build?
0: Yeah, so that was kind of early days of New York Tech. Um, or at least the second phase of New York Tech. A lot of people think that there was a first phase of New York Tech kind of late 90s, early 2000s, and it got real quiet for five or six years. Um, and then late 2000 aughts, like 2008, 9, 10, is really when there was a second wave wow. that, that that started. Mm-hmm. Foursquare, Kickstarter, Rocket Hub, Indiegogo. Um, um, a lot of new companies um, were were kind of growing at that time in, in New York. And um, But most were uh, either in finance or social media or tech. Very few were actually arts related. Mm. And so I think that was a big, big appeal is that we knew what our appeal was. We were kind of a creative mixture of tech and art. And so we used that to sell the company, not just to potential customers and investors, but also to potential employees. Mm. So I, I think just the idea of knowing what your company is, what it stands for and who it appeals to goes a long way in recruiting uh, and building a uh, an initial following an initial initial work base that's really interesting we never had a huge team we, you know at, at peak we were 10 to 15 people it was pretty lean yeah
1: and then going the full circle um in the end where did the acquisition talks come from can you just paint the picture of that process a little
0: yeah so um efactory uh, group that that acquired us uh, was a was an, kind of an entrepreneurial organization. They were really uh, 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 a collection of different companies. So I, uh, for for many reasons, they wanted Rocket Hub both for the community and also the the, the financial infrastructure, mm-hmm. the tech that we've built out. Um, and it was a long term process. We had been to, we, we at that point by the time they acquired us, we had known them for two year two plus years. Wow. So m- what what I found is in 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 most of these acquisition um, um, kind of discussions, it's rarely. Like out of the blue, um, unless you're really you know a hot you know high flying you know startup that's that's really really um, going growing real fast most acquisitions are driven off of relationships, right. long-term relationships, relationships that have been maybe around for years. Initially, maybe it starts as a partnership, and then it grows into um, a more deeper partnership, and then it, it becomes an acquisition. So it's it's rarely overnight, and that's how it was for us, is that it just the conversation started building, and what we found is that it was the right time for uh, for an acquisition. Uh, we, we had grown it to a certain level, and we wanted it uh, to have a new and more safe and kind of uh, supportive home.
1: Got it. And when entering Rocket Hub, was was the idea always that was the exit path, or you thought of maybe growing, scaling independently, or like
0: that's 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 a tough one. Um, I, I think uh, to be frank, I had no clue what I was doing when I when, <laughs> really? I, when I went when I went into Rocket <laughs> Hub, or what the exit plan was, or wh- where we were gonna take it. We just wanted to help people raise money, um, and we believed the internet at that point could do that. And that's true. We helped thousands, maybe tens of thousands of artists raise tens of millions of dollars. And that's that that's very kind of reassuring and positive for me. But when we went in, I I mean, I was 24, 25. I was like, I have I had I knew so little about what uh, what I was doing um, that it was almost kind of uh, it's kind of surprising the fact that we actually got to an exit. Uh, But but I think that's that's um, that's. that's also good too because I didn't know what the how difficult it, it mm. would be, um, so you know we always wanted to grow it. I, I don't I, you know we didn't think about an IPO or we didn't we didn't honestly think about acquisition either. But it just it just kind of happened. Um, on the other side, crowdfunding is a tough business. Uh, it's 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 a very very low margin business uh, for the platforms mm-hmm. because. Um, for every dollar that goes through the system, you know, ninety-five percent of that goes to the, the creators. Uh two or three percent of it, like commission. Yeah, go yeah. two or three pre- goes to the credit card companies. Oh wow. And, and then the platform gets maybe two to three at wow. most five percent. Wow. So that means that to be making, you know, million dollars a year, we need to be moving fifty million dollars a year. Yeah. Um and so that's those numbers are just really, really tough. And and um You know, we were moving millions of dollars, but we would needed to be moving tens of millions or hundreds of millions. And so I think that's what kind of what happened uh, around 2014, 2015. um, There was a big consolidation in those early crowdfunding platforms. Like, there really ended up being three, which is Kickstarter, Indiegogo, maybe GoFundMe for the more um, medical-related personal stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and, And so, but... In 2012, 2013, there were probably over 150 different crowdfunding platforms for cooking, for music, for film. Like they were very vertically cent- centered. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but there was this big kind of consolidation in the market in, in, in 2014, 2015, just because it's a tough, tough business model. And unless you're really big and you have the scale, it's very difficult to sustain uh, a team. Uh, on that, and so we were right at that inflection point where we did have scale, uh, but we realized we needed a lot more resources. We didn't want to raise additional capital from VCs, and we. Um, what th- was the reason for that? You didn't know. We were just gotten. We would have gotten diluted okay. to 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 good a good extent, and also, you know, I think at that point we were at it for about four years, so we some of us were ready to move on. Mm. I, I think that's just a ni- natural life cycle. So it was a good deal for everyone, and you know, I, I was lucky. To have my first company be acquired, and I think that's that's rare, and and uh, I use that to to move into into mural and to start something new at, at, at that point.
1: Wow, that's a perfect segue yes. to our next topic here. Yeah, like there that. you go. Where where did mural come from? Where did the idea come from? And when did you realize this was big?
0: Yeah. So. Um, Uh, The idea came a lot – most of it came from my experiences at Rocket Hub because, um, as I mentioned, we worked with creators and creatives of all sorts, musicians, filmmakers, writers, directors, and all of these um, groups – uh, except for visual artists, had their big democratization moments. They've had their big democratization platforms. So music you could find anywhere online. Uh, film had started to grow with Netflix and some of the other mm-hmm. streaming platforms. Uh, publishing with Kindle and with other self-publishing. Like, they had their big moments. They were starting to reach big audiences. Whereas visual art, visual culture, painting, photography, in some cases, illustration, was still trapped um, in these two worlds. On the low end, you had the art.com poster, like, you know, the poster that you get for when you're a college dorm. And on the high end, you had the museums, the galleries, the auction houses charging tens of thousands of dollars to just to get into the market. And so um, what I realized was there's this big gap um, in, in the middle. You know, between the age of 25 and 45, you want to get into art. You don't really have a place to go and a place to start. And um, so... With that in mind, as as Up was being acquired, I said, "Let me think about this problem a little bit more. Let me tackle a little bit more." And um, when Rocketup was acquired, I was like, "Let me do this full time." And so in 2014, we started a Mural with the mission to make art, a part of visual art, a part of people's daily lives, in the mm. same way that music is a part of your daily life, that um, film or TV is a part of your daily life, that even writing now is a part of your daily life. Why can't visual art? be the same thing. And very early on, we realized that the the way to do this was to build a physical product, the Kindle for art or the iPod for art, uh, our equivalent of that, a piece of beautiful hardware meant for visual art that connects to the internet, to our cloud platform and gives you access to thousands of artworks, whether it's a, a Monet or a Van Gogh or whether it's a brand new artist making digital art right for us for for the mural platform Mm -hmm. that's what we're building and that's what that's that's really where uh uh where we are right now
1: and now were you always well versed in art or you always had this interest in art um or you kind of it more evolved as as the business evolved so when i was a kid
0: growing up here in new york i was always the type of kid that would rather go to the museum than the playground Mm -hmm. um i feel like the met was my playground um just because there's huge hallways and you can, you can get lost in different worlds. Um, And and that really kind of inspired me uh, through, through, through life. And so it was kind of ingrained in, in, in me. And then I went to NYU. I I got into, you know, art a little bit more. I'm not an artist, so I view it very much from a consumer centric perspective. And I think that's helped us uh, both in rocket hub and um, at mural, because I see it as a, as a user, not as a, Creator, um, I can I can I can talk to creators and 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 have their perspective, but I I I always look at it from a user perspective. Like, what do I want in my home? What would it be that would make my life better? And so. Uh, that's 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 the perspective that I think that's given us the cutting you know uh, competitive advantage is the ability to to really move fast and look at things from a cons- consumer perspective.
1: And now, when you started Mural and you entered this this art incubator, this art co op, mm-hmm. w- did the did you already have the idea for the digital canvas, or did that come after?
0: Uh, yeah, we did. We we did. Um. So in two thousand fourteen, my uh, I I started talking to my co founder Jerry. Um. The two of us both you know I I transitioned out of Rocket Up. He quit his job. Um. He, he he worked at Fresh Direct, another New York startup from, from the first wave of New York startups oh. in the late 90s. Um, and um, we, we got going in kind of early 2014. Um, then we found our CTO – um, and really, the person who could help us build it from a te- technical perspective, I knew some. You know, I knew how to code and all that, but we needed a hardware person, someone who could actually build physical products. Mm-hmm. And so, once we had kind of the core group, we did a we did a hackathon for first week. We built a prototype just to see if we could do it. And at the end of the first week, we had this prototype. And it was like, wow, this looks real. It's legit. Uh, we should do this. And so, in July, August of 2014, we set up shop at the at the Art Co-op in in um, in lower, on the Lower East Side. And we realized that um, holy moly, we're in this Art Co-op, and there's artists coming in every day. Uh, we just picked it because it was cool and interesting and and affordable. Uh, at that point, there weren't very many WeWorks. Um, there were some in 2014, but there weren't that many. Um, so. What what became or what started was this really kind of awesome feedback loop where we would keep prototyping and testing different features and different versions of the product. And artists kept coming in and giving us feedback. So the first six months a year as we were product developing, um, it really helped us hone the product uh, very quickly and to a level where artists started coming in and they didn't even realize it was a digital product really? they, wow. they thought it was like a piece of paper on, on, on a wall wow. but then it would change and they were like wow this looks incredible so it was kind of serendipitous but kind of smart as well uh in that we realized that this uh community helped us make a really stellar product really quickly and so um then we just started kind of moving it further and further along. And, and so we, we moved, we had to grow out of that space. But we, we keep touch with that community. And, you know, on a daily basis, we have artists coming through our office, both as creators, but also as, as feedback uh, on, on the new products that we're developing.
1: And now at that point, did you have competition in this industry? Anyone else doing anything similar to what you were doing? There were a
0: few companies. Um, there's one called Electric Objects, which is also a company here in New York. And there are a few others, you know, on the West Coast, San Francisco and beyond. There's one in Japan as well. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's t- it's the type of concept where it's kind of like it's obvious but hard. Mm. Like this, the idea of having art that is dynamic and interesting and changing on your wall uh, is – something that people have thought about in in, in the past. Um, And now, we made it into a reality. But other people that had this idea, they thought it was gonna be easy, and it wasn't. It's, It's really complicated, it's really tricky to build a physical product that looks and feels good, to manufacture it at an affordable price point, and to ship it around the world and there's a lot of stuff to be done so there was some competition probably in the span of the last four years there have been 10 to 15 companies that have come and gone in this space and for whatever reason for many reasons we've been able to be successful and to grow um, and to to be the leader in this market
1: and now in new york how are you able to recruit the correct people because I, I can imagine yeah. you need your hardware people your software people business marketing all of that
0: it's hard it's really hard, uh, particularly on the hardware side. Hardware engineers, um, you know, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, industrial designers. Uh, what we found was that uh, we had to go outside of uh, normal recruiting angles. So our CTO, uh, who's an electrical engineer, he just moved to New York when we found him. Wow. He, he had moved from Israel, huh. uh, and he was in New York for two weeks uh, looking for a job. And we were like, come here. Uh, we, we grabbed them real fast. Um, and he was the exact right person because he helped build like computers and chipsets in Israel for Samsung, Blackberry, some of the biggest biggest com- you know computer and phone makers in the world. And so he knew what he was doing. Uh, and then as we started to grow, um, we started um, kind of going outside of New York a little bit. Uh, we looked at Boston, we looked at San Francisco, we looked at international as well. Um, The idea of a hardware company is very sexy. It's like fun. You're building a physical product, but the actual logistics of it are very, very difficult. So that means that you need um, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, firmware developers, software developers, uh, industrial designers, manufacturing supply chain managers. So early on, we realized that we had to outsource certain parts. So um, we use contractors at different parts of the, the product development cycle. But as soon as a role became vital that's when we started that's when we recruited for it full-time got it so if it was a short you know one month two month three month project we use outsourced labor but then if it was starting to recur and like oh we need mechanical engineer every two months every three months then we realized we need to hire a mechanical engineer so those are the kind of decisions that we have to be really careful about and um it kind of worked organically that as we grew, we were adding these little bits of pieces. It's kind of like building like a, an NBA team or like yeah. building, you know, it, it feels- Like um, free, yeah, right, free agents. Yeah, right, you're finding free agents, you're putting them on a short-term contract, you know, 10-day contract, and then if they turn out to be real good, then you sign them for two years or three years. So that's that's literally how we did it, is that we did a lot of short-term contracts to test people, but also to move us further along. And then if they were good, it would bring them on full-time.
1: And now with the rise of like the gig economy and freelancers, do you think a lot of startups are going to take that approach to things?
0: I do. I do. Uh, when I started Rocket Hub in 2009, 2010, using contractors was kind of like a, a taboo. It was really? like a, wow. a, a VCs didn't want to invest in companies that had an outsourced like team in, in, in India or in Eastern Europe or even in the US. Um, they wanted to have the full team here in, in New York. Um, but I think that with the proliferation of just all these collaboration tools, the gig economy, as you mentioned, um, that's kind of changed, particularly in hardware, because, um, it just, it's impossible to build a 10 person team overnight with, you know, uh, angel funding, like that's just not going to happen. So taking it a, a step-by-step process is much more realistic. And I think the VCs have woken up to that fact. Um, and, and they realize that like, have the vital components in your team first and then grow strategically. Don't force it too quickly because that could just also kill the company if it's the wrong hires getting paid a lot of money.
1: And now also, how did you, you bring up VC, how did you go about funding um, for Mural? And were, were VCs in the New York area interested in a hardware startup? Um, because I believe your first investor was like Balt or something.
0: Yes. So uh, we had a few angel investors. So that was mainly driven off of, you know, my network from Rocket Hub hmm. and, and Jerry's network as well from, from Fresh Direct. So uh, the first few, you know, 50 to 100,000 came from just people we knew. Um, You know, 25k checks, 50k checks, stuff like that. Our first institutional funder was a company called Bolt. They're a hardware-oriented VC firm in um, Boston. Now they're in San Francisco too, so they have two offices. And um, we had pitched them really early on in the concept, like beginning, like when I had the idea. And they're like, "Yeah, go 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 get it, kid." You know, (laughs) they're like, "Just do it." Um, And then I came back to them a year later. They're like, hey, we've actually built it. You know, it's real. It's it wasn't ready for manufacturing yet, right? Yet, but it was in a good shape and a good 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 spot. And they're like, wow, you actually did it. And so, because I stayed in touch with them, I went up to Boston a few times. Um, they were our first investor, yeah. and that that really helped us turbocharge the company. And it was also a really important inflection point for us for us from uh, from a psychological perspective, uh, because at that point we only had angel investors. Um who really believed in us, but they were, you know, individuals, and, and this was the first time that uh, an institution with, you know, limited, you know, uh, with, with limited bandwidth, who mm-hmm. made very few investments, um, was willing to take a stab at, at this. And so it really helped us, and that was mm, 2015, kind of middle of 2015, so we were already at it for about a year at that point, so it was a good point uh, to get this affirmation and, and capital. To get to the next next level, but in general, VCs hate hardware. Um, I would say, of all the VCs in the world, only twenty percent would look at hardware, uh, just because it's challenging and it's it's uh, it takes a lot of capital. You have inventory. Uh, you have to spend a lot of cash mm-hmm. to get to a certain point. Um, it doesn't scale in the same way that software scales. You can't scale it infinitely. There's actual marginal cost for every unit that you build. Um, So VCs don't like that. And um, there was kind of a hot period for hardware, like 2013 through 2015, um, where a lot of companies were funded and grown, and some were sold, like Nest was sold to Google, Mm -hmm. Oculus was sold to Facebook, um, uh, Drop uh drop cam was sold as well um Fitbit went public GoPro went public and then like 2016 17 was there's like the sh- the shakeout in hardware where you know Fitbit and GoPro aren't really doing very well as public companies yeah. mm-hmm. um and some of these smaller companies just went out of business um and so it's a tough Challenging space for hardware right now, but I think that that also creates a competitive advantage. If you can create a hardware company that is unique and differentiated, and uh, has the potential to grow real fast, um, getting the funding will be tough. But then you will be miles ahead of other companies uh, in, in in the space. So it's it's a it makes it harder, but also makes it easier in some ways.
1: And did you realize all that when you were initially starting up Mural or were these fears just in your head or how did you go about doing that?
0: No, we didn't realize that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny, like uh, I mentioned when I started Rocket, I had no clue what I was doing. When I started Mural, I, I thought like, yeah, I know what I'm doing now. But it, it was like 10 times more complex and difficult mm. to go from a, a web-based software company to a multi-platform hardware company that has a hardware component, a mobile component, and a web server component as well. And um, so that means that we, I had to kind of learn all new sets of tricks and and, and, and experiences and, and, and lessons. And that um, quickly became uh, our main task for the first year. It's like as, along the, the product development process and prototyping process, Jerry and I were just learning about the business real 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 fast Mm -hmm. and um, we were you know talking to manufacturers we were talking to suppliers we were talking to warehousing people we were talking to retail people and we were really getting on board really fast learning on the job and maybe that's not great but for us it's worked Uh, and that kind of hustle has has really uh, helped us to get where where we want to go but you know uh, I think in general you never really know what you're getting into until you get into it Um, experience helps because it calms The nerves and it makes it easier to make tough decisions, but those decisions still have to be made off of new variables, new problems, new challenges, and the world keeps constantly changing.
1: Now, what advice now, having gone through that, would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur who's interested in building something around hardware?
0: So number one thing is team. Um, I think if we didn't find our CTO at that early stage, we wouldn't be here. Um, we also uh, had a couple of additional people. Uh, one who helped us with with the art side of things, kind of get artists on board, and then another electrical engineer. So we we built out a team of four or five people real fast in the in the first six months. And so I think hardware is a team game. It, it, it cannot be one or two founders in general who who get the who get the had you know who get to to the point that's necessary. So I think. Find the right co-founder, find the right first two, three, four, five people um, that have experience, at least tangential experience in whatever you're looking to build, Mm -hmm. because it's going to be so important to have a few core experts so that 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 kind of outsourcing game that I mentioned um, that cannot work if you don't have some experts on your team. You can't just, you know, uh, rely on consultants without people in in in-house that know what they're doing, so I think that core team is so so important. Um, the second part I think is is around funding. Uh, as I mentioned, our our most of our early funders were angels, um, and I think that's kind of the, na- the 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 nature of the beast <laughs> when it comes to hardware early on is that it's going to be non traditional funders. It's going to be. You know, uh, uh, wealthy individuals who may be interested in what you're what you're building, or or smaller organizations or family offices, um, and then as as the company starts to grow, as it becomes a prototype and ready for manufacturing, and maybe there's a a, a pre-order campaign or a crowdfunding campaign that sells a certain amount of units, then going to the right VCs who are willing to invest in hardware is really important. Not to waste time on those VCs that 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 aren't because there are many of them. So I think um, the team. The fu- Being able to be flexible around funding and being able to look at different potential resources that maybe are not traditional fun- funding resources, mm-hmm. and then being th- able to scale with the right partners... Those are really the, like, one or two, three steps that, that have helped us in, in, in particular with, with this venture.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. Um, and you, you've also written about, um like, Nostalgic Capital <laughs> that sort of yes. thing. Um, so I, was, I, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, also, because do, do you think art will continue to progress towards new mediums like the, the VR, mixed reality, augmented reality, or the traditional people who want to see it on a canvas, that medium will prevail?
0: Okay. So first, Nostalgic <laughs> Capital. Uh, so I wrote a blog post, I think four or five years ago um, just around this concept that uh, you know culture builds nostalgic co- capital over time. and so generally nostalgia peaks 20 to 30 years later. Hmm. So like right now the 90s are, are, are really hot. In a few years ago, it was the 80s. Uh, that was really, really popular kind of in terms of pop culture. So that that trend kind of grows. And so it peaks at around, I think, 30 years. So when a concept is 30 years old, it peaks in terms of nostalgic capital. And then it goes down over time because people forget. Um, and, and they aren't nostalgic about it uh, anymore. And then it becomes history. Mm-hmm. Um, so that concept actually helped us a lot early on in Mural in terms of picking and choosing the content partners that we wanted to have um, on on board the, the art partners, and uh, we realized that you know we needed the basics. You know we needed the Van Goghs and the Monets and 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 you know the the classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we started looking at like artists that were creating things that looked and felt like the 80s and the 90s and and kind of had nostalgic uh, uh, elements in it. So uh, it it drives a lot of how we built the business because I think nostalgia is one of the most powerful emotions that, that that's out there um, yeah so for your second question in terms of art um, I think art is like a building um, and there are always new floors being built so painting and you know uh, 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 illustration and photography these are all different floors uh, and so it never one floor never replaces the other it just gets built on top gotcha. and, and it keeps growing and growing and growing. So mm-hmm. I think AR, VR, um, forms of kind of interactive art, online art, um, are just these new floors on top of an existing historical beautiful building um, that people continue to visit. They will continue to go up and down the floors. They continue to go and experience different types of art. but. So I don't think a, a new form of art will replace an old form of art, but I think it will add to the conversation it will add to the overall appeal of this building and, and, and so that's that's generally how I view it. I think mural right now covers a good swath of of, of, of the floors. We don't cover everything we uh, you know we don't have sculptures really mm-hmm. uh, because it's a we're a 2d. You know, platform. But in the future, we might we might have a product that you know is a holographic thing you put on your 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 you know uh, in in your in your office or in your in your home and you get a sculpture all of a sudden displayed. So we're thinking about other floors in this art world, uh, art building, and in terms of how we can touch them, AR VR might play a role in that. Um, I think it's still very um, early. I think the idea of being having to put on glasses or having to look at something that is not organic, I think is still challenging for people. And I think that art uh, that is more experiential and temporal lends itself, but art that is more passive and more universal isn't there yet in in that space.
1: And now when you, with your digital canvas, you, mm-hmm. you bring art into the home. Um, and earlier talking about how y- you would go to museums and that was very exciting for you. What has what the reception been with like galleries and museums regarding your technology?
0: Yeah, so... Kind of moving up the, the 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 food chain, so artists love it for artists it's a whole new distribution platform um before artists you know were online or they, they still are online you know they're they're um trying to reach fans all across the world in different ways, but they have to compete through all the noise you know it, you know if you're on instagram you know there's fashion there's art there's photography there's uh, brands there all kinds of stuff um on our platform it's a direct access point into people's homes into people's offices. There isn't anything else. It's just art. It's a very beautiful, focused, purposed device for bringing art into people's homes. And we're in very, very important places. We're in people's living rooms. We're in people's dining rooms. We're in people's um, offices. And artists really, really love that. Um, the second like, layer is is um, um, museums and kind of cultural institutions. Um, they Uh, view it a little bit differently they view us as a way of reaching audiences from outside of their institution and then bringing them into the institution um, itself and so museums um, in general cultural institutions are starting to really warm up to the idea they really are like oh wow you know i can preview an exhibit that's coming to the museum next month into a thousand people home a thousand people's homes or 10,000 or, or whatever and that they view that really valuable uh, i think the galleries are a little bit more afraid of it because in general galleries are middlemen right they mm-hmm. connect the, the world of you know buyers with the artists So I think galleries are a little afraid that they might get disintermediated, that they might get cut out through something like Mural. And it's our job to say, no, 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 this is not, that's not our goal. Our goal is to actually make your lives easier as well. Because if you're a gallery, then your competitive advantage is the ability to curate, to find new talent. So galleries now can have a home. In the mural ecosystem as well, because their talents and their ability to find and discover and select talent could lend itself not just to their physical gallery space, but to the mural platform. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it will take some time for us to get like into the gallery space and the gallery world at a at a large scale. But um, we're starting to get there, and, and that, that's that's really cool to see.
1: Very cool. And then slight, slightly off topic, but I was curious, you do have the the blog Beyond the Cave, mm-hmm. um, and just going through the blog post, you write oh, on everything go- old from, school. from Conan to, yeah. uh, to like your fear of swimming. Where did that cut? Was it like a therapeutic uh, venture yeah. or?
0: Yeah. Uh, so before I started Rocket Hub, um, I felt like a part of me was like missing. Hmm. I felt, because I was, you know, mainly doing corporate stuff and, you know, consulting is great. It's somewhat creative, but it's not... You know, it's not the same as starting a company, and so um, I had to. Ha- I needed an outlet, just to, like just to get stuff on paper. Um, and so for about a year, a year and a half, I was very diligent. I would write something, you know, pretty much every day, and um, that really, really got kind of my mind going and enabled me to have the confidence to start mural or to start rocket up and then start mural afterwards. So. Um, yeah it was a it was very much an outlet but it was also almost like it's like going to the gym from um, for, for, for 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 my mind it, it felt like i was you know doing these. it was a safe place to to do reps and 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 get ready for what might come in the future Interesting. and now I, I i write a lot less just because all my energy and 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 creative power Gets taken up by by mural and 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 you know the the things that I work with on on a daily basis in the company, but it was a great great kind of preparation for for where I am. I think I'll go back to writing at some point, particularly maybe a book or something after uh, all is said and done. But um, yeah, for now my creative kind of flow goes into 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 mural.
1: Got it. And then for my my last question here, um, I was just curious. Right now, what is like your new obsession, or what do you want to learn more about? What is kind of going through your mind, either on the business or personal side? I'm just curious.
0: I'm always thinking about different ideas and different things. I, I think um the the big obsession now for 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 mural and for myself is so we, you know we've sold tens of thousands of of units. We 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 reached a good kind of baseline. But the big question is, how do we get from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands like to to millions? Hmm. So what is it going to take to get Mural into a million homes? Um, Is that something to do with pricing? Uh, Is that something to do with the type of artwork and content that we bring into people's homes? Is it something else? So I I think that is just the all-consuming billion-dollar question, right, Uh, is the how do you take this concept that is a fast-growing niche into uh, a mainstream uh, adoption uh, curve? And I think that uh, we're starting to see kind of things bubbling up, but um, we need to pull a few more levers to get there. And yeah. so that's that it's it's like it's a very 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 interesting challenge it's like um it's like once you read you once you go from 0 to 1 how do you go from 1 to 10? And I think 0 to 1 is really really hard. You can you can really like put it on your back and carry it over, but 1 to 10 takes a lot of leverage and takes a lot of thought. And I think that's that's what's been consuming the real real hard over the last over the last year or six months or so
1: got it well thank you so much for sitting down with me today thank you. um it was a pleasure hearing your insight and everything uh and welcome to the watcher family thank you very much uh thank you for listening uh, out there if you enjoyed the episode please subscribe leave a review check out our website watcherpod.com and share the show thank you it is 11 o'clock. perfect <laughs> wow thank you so much that was you, a ton of fun. you killed it